I think the the giving it all that Hogan was was sharing with us is that selflessness, right? Our human nature is selfishness, and Christ led a life of selflessness, and he calls us to give and live a life of being almost third, right? God first, others second, and ourselves third. And so when he was sharing that, that's uh, that picture that came to me is the woman just pouring out this perfume and, and then wiping her tears was this ultimate selfless act. And it ultimately was an act of worship. Uh, I, at times, probably should not have been the person to pick my kids up from school. And I'll explain this. Um, our kids were, were south of town. They go to Veal Elementary. Um, and so... You go, and typically there will be bus riders, and then there's pickup riders. And so I go through the line. You go around the building. You pull up in front there, and you wait for your child to come out. Um, and they dismiss them. Historically, they had dismissed them kindergarten, first, second, third, and on. So uh, I go through. My kids are in kinder, or when Trey was in, Sorry, we're in kindergarten. He's in uh, second now. London is in kindergarten. And so they're one of the first kids that get dismissed as they come out. And so I go, um, and I go through, and I get in the line and um, try to be, and not like out of the ordinary, but try to be one of the first cars that are there because they're the first ones out of the building, and that's kind of they don't have to stand and wait and then I'm not waiting behind um and can you believe that there have been people pull in front of me while I'm trying to be first specifically one vehicle last year that in my mind and it was not a, it was not the Helms so we'll just get uh, Krista would usually beat me there, but there was one vehicle that became, in my mind, my arch nemesis, and it, I don't know, like, their child was in an upper grade, so if they beat me, I had to wait. Appalling. And so I found myself, and this is when I talked about I probably should not have been the one picking my kids up. There were times where I would pull around the building and see a car in front of me or that specific vehicle. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. I left at 2.30. They don't get out until 2.45 or 2.50. Sure. 
I jokingly would share this with my wife, and she would kind of look at me because I think she saw it for what it really was, that I was just being ridiculous. Um, but I thought about that. I was looking at it for my – it helps. My kids are coming out first. I'll be first through the line. It'll boom, boom, boom. We'll get them. We'll be on our way. Nobody's got – I'm doing them a favor. They don't have to wait behind me. Well, it's me first attitude. And we live in a culture that is me first attitude. We, we, we live in a culture, actually we live in a, a point now where we can become so entwined in this me first um, and that I should have this, 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 and this, that, that it's been given a name, like this entitlement. You've heard entitlement mentality. I should have, I deserve, or I'm owed this favor or this thing or this privilege or whatever. It's some type of special treatment. This you owe me attitude. And there are many things that can help to kind of promote. They don't know exactly, like, psychologically what kind of creates that or causes it. But it can be environment you grow up in, the way your parents uh, or caregivers treated you. You know, how um, if people around you constantly take care of you or solve problems for you. Um, all kinds of different things. Um, and ultimately, that effect, that, uh, that view, this entitlement kind of me-first view is proven to psychologically cause problems. It, cause, it can cause conflict in relationships. It causes unhappiness. It causes disappointment. It causes depression. And so I was caught myself thinking, that makes a lot of sense because we're in a time now we, where we are the most absorbed in self, but yet the most depressed across the board, especially in younger generations that are being brought up. And it becomes this cycle you're entitled, you're always vulnerable, there's always threats of these unmet expectations, and then when the expectations aren't met, then, then there's this dissatisfaction and emotions, whether it be anger or sadness, be sense of being cheated, something taken from you, and then you're distressed, and, and you try to fix the situation, console yourself, and this self-reassurance that you deserve um, everything or anything that, that you're wanted, wanting then just reinforces this mindset and becomes this cycle. And it's interesting because even on, in medical and psychological articles that I was reading on this, the first and foremost basically step, I would, I'm not going to say cure, but basically the first and foremost to treat this 
is practicing gratitude and humility. Practicing gratitude and, and humility begins to chisel away at this entitlement or me first. So I thought it very fitting, looking back, how we set aside this time to look at being thankful and looking at gratitude. Because right now, I think one of the scarcest virtues that you'll find right now in our time is gratitude, thankfulness, being grateful. In our culture, the Christian, the church community, the faith is not immune to that, right? This disease afflicts, the diseases that afflict mankind attach themselves to believers as well or as, as much. And in some cases, I, I've shared many times, apart from prayers of thanks at a meal, there's really no terrible distinction between living our life or living our life as a follower. And so nobody would even know that they're grateful people, much less recipients of this divine healing grace that as believers in Christ has been bestowed upon us. And so this, this can't be. It, the scripturally thankless Christians, they're a contradiction. Like they can't coexist. Philippians 4, 4 tells us, Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Again, I say, rejoice. Romans paints a, in 2 Timothy, Romans 1, 21, yet shows us, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 2 Timothy 3, 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. That's just at the junior high. That was a joke for Chrissy. The, and so we're looking at the in Luke 17, and this may not be a traditional gratitude passage, but we're going to look at Luke 17, okay? Luke 17, specifically, we're looking at 11 through 19, where we have a healing, many healings, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along, he being Jesus, was passing along between Samaria, uh, Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them... When he saw that he was healed, 
turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And so on the outskirts of this unnamed village, on the borders of Samaria and Galilee, we have these ten leprous men standing before Jesus. Their, their clothing, I'm sure, torn, uh, just blistered, sores, appendages or, or digits missing, their lips uncovered as they as they yeah, cry out really unclean 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 as they were called to in the old testament and they looked i'm sure as they had just climbed out of a grave but yet alive and living on the outskirts of the city as they liter quite literally rotted away and so from a safe distance, they shouted this traditional plea, Jesus, Master, have pity, literally, mercy on us. And they were loud and persistent, have mercy on us, Master, have mercy on us. Mercy, please. And once Jesus saw them, he responded. And previously, he had healed with touching, and this time he, he did not touch but yet pronounced be clean he told them go show yourselves to the priest and the command was to do what a cured leper would do if you were cured and following the regulations in Leviticus 14 you would then go be examined by a priest there would be this eight-day ceremony that would take place and then they would be reunited with their families and jesus command required faith because i i mean I, i'm sure they didn't necessarily have mirrors to check or all these things. he said go to the priest and be checked I'm sure there was some mumbling or grumbling and talking among themselves. I'm sure some were eager to take off and do that. Others were like, you, whatever, you got to be kidding me. Who, who knows what we're not told in Scripture, how it, the con any conversations among themselves. But we're told that they headed towards the temple. And as they went, we see in verse 14, they were cleansed. This, this mass cleansing, this mass healing. And I'm sure as they walked and talked among themselves, they had to have seen basically ears emerging from their face or, or fingers regenerating and skin clarifying and different uh, ailments that they had being healed in front of one another's eyes. It's like ultimately ten new births all simultaneously. 
among those ten lepers, what we're told, was a Samaritan. Normally, Jews didn't associate with Samaritans, um, and likewise, Samaritans with Jews, but these men had been on the outskirts of society, on the fringe. They had lived through this, this tumultuous time, and, and so... It, it's called liminality when you go through some type of event with a group. There is a bond with that. And so it didn't matter where they were from, who was from where. They were all found all themselves in the same situation. So we have nine Jews and, some, and one Samaritan in this suffering community. And when the healing occurred, the Samaritan was seized with, it says, an irresistible emotion of gratitude. And captive, I think, captive to this gratitude, this spontaneous gratitude, put off going to the temple and went back to Jesus. This ceremonial clean bill of health from the priest would have to wait. His his obligation or his felt obligation overrode his ceremonial need. His felt experience overrode the ceremonial call. So he parted ways, parted company with them, and this thankful Samaritan knew he had to thank two people, God, God and Jesus. He did not know that really the two were one. And first he said, thank you to God. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. I'd say if he had a shofar, he would be blowing it, right? Earlier he had loudly pled for healing. Now he's loudly with this loud praise. And the, the Greek text for that loud voice is the same word that we use and get megaphone. You ever seen somebody standing on a street corner yelling with a megaphone? It's turned on, right? And the volume's up. You can't deny it. He was this mega voice. In his praise to God. Then he thanked Jesus. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he tells us, and, and he was a Samaritan. He literally fell on his face at Jesus' feet. And at the very least, he, he recognized Jesus as an agent of God. Return to Jesus with this heart, giving glory to God and thanks to Jesus. He recognized God's power and what had been done. And so, immediately, Jesus has questions. Jesus asked three different things. Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? What was no one found to return and give praise to God except for him, for this foreigner, for this man? I don't necessarily think the questions were rhetorical, like he was genuinely asking. 
the human Jesus expected, hoped for all to return, glorifying God. And then, ultimately, they were to receive the, this ultimate blessing that he had prepared for them. The other nine lepers seemed, looking at this, whether they were caught up in the healings or caught up in wanting to get directly to the priest, I mean, I, I don't want to draw a conclusion where there is no conclusion, but they were definitely engaged in thought outside of what Jesus had done for them. God was not the center of their gratitude as it was with the Samaritan or that we see with the Samaritan. Um, and so this vague gratitude to divinity was not an adequate response to what had happened. Christ, as we shared earlier in our service, wants our heart. He wants all. And by failing to glorify God and returning to thank Jesus, I, I think they missed that greatest possible moment. Because the, the account closes with Jesus, this, this sovereign pronouncement to the Samaritan, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And the Greek in that last part is literally, your faith has saved you. Several leading Lucan scholars uh, kind of have paraphrased that specific verse, and each one has the exact same thing. His faith has been the means of his cure and his salvation. Your faith has brought you salvation. But as much of a foreigner as he might be, this man is now sent off by Jesus as a person who has experienced the salvation that Jesus came to bring. None of the others, despite their newfound freedom from leprosy, receives this special blessing. We must let, I believe, Jesus' declaration, your faith has saved it, have saved you, have its deepest meaning there. And this fatal spiritual leprosy fell from the Samaritan spirit. This leprosy of the heart then was regenerated the same as his external. But because we know that something can look clean or in order on the outside, but be completely different situation on the inside. And so he received forgiveness. He received reconciliation, this eternal life, the removal of all alienation and distance between God and himself. Only the Samaritan who returned to praise God and offer thanksgiving to Christ himself saw this faith-saving 
faith in this passage. Indeed, his gratitude and praise of God were signs of his saving faith, right? His gratitude and praise to God were signs of this saving faith. And so I think there are lessons for us. Certainly, first, we, we must understand that no one is saved by virtue of having this pleasant, optimistic, thankful spirit. Okay, It wasn't the fact that he said thank you that he was healed. Jesus is not teaching salvation by your disposition or your mood. Jesus is teaching that where there is true faith, there are profoundly thankful hearts. Okay? Jesus is teaching that where there is true faith, there are profoundly thankful hearts. Our actions will align with our heart. Our heart will align with our action. It's not just the doing, it's the why and what we're doing. It's the, it's the shedding of this me first. It's this focus or centering in on selflessness. And so praise to God the Father is at the heart of authentic Our authentic faith, if, if our faith, if lived out authentically, praise and, and thank God the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, 2 Corinthians 9, 15, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that's Colossians 1, 11, 14. And whatever you do, whether in work or deed, do it in all, uh, in all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, Colossians 3, 17. The New Testament is clear. Believing hearts are hearts that praise and glorify God. And as we looked at those passages, you can't help but notice that in every one of those referencing to praise God, Jesus is that reason. Saving face doesn't vaguely give glory to God the Father. As people of faith, our praise to God must be radically Christ-centered. Near the end of uh, the book of Hebrews in 13, 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. We're to praise God through Jesus. 
And so this is true in, in this world, and we'll see it as believers, we'll see it lived out in eternity because Revelations 4 in 9 through 11 tells us, Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by the, your will they were created and have their being. And Revelation 5 tells us, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Hearts of those who do not know Christ are ungrateful. Again, Romans 1, 21, for although, speaking of man's spiritual history, Paul's reporting, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. We're called to be light in darkness. We're called to, to be a light, a lamp on a hill. And when our gratitude, our faith rings out, to God through through Jesus and for Jesus and Christ is proclaimed and worshiped I believe some in the dark depressed and thankless culture begin to see a ray of light So as we're placed in this place, we're to be right of in the world, not of the world, right? But we are in this place. And when we see it to be dark and dismal and this me focus, this this selfish place. When we live selflessly, when we live a life of gratitude, I believe the world around us begins to see rays of his light. And so our, really our, our question this morning then becomes, are we all in, like Hogan had shared with us? Are we standing and, and spectating? Are we falling to our feet and pouring out perfume? And shattering that. And, and even 
just taking a, a posture of gratitude and, and humility. Will we as a church stand and be individual lights? Will we be this megaphone for him? Because we're, we're the vessels. He pours into each one of us as believers. We're called then to soak that in or be filled, not to be filled, but so that we can then pour that on out for others around us. And so that's our, our, our challenge this morning as we, as we wind up this series on, on thankfulness, on gratitude, is it, it has to become a, a, well, for me, a minute-by-minute minute assessment of shining a light or being drawn to the darkness, ultimately. I am able to pick up my kids from school. But those are the little battles, right? Those are the things. We're, we're, we're real life. Rubber hits the road when someone walks in front of us when we think we've got a clear shot at the express line at Walmart and there's only two other cashiers open and they're backed up past women clothing. I mean, I, I mean, not that I've seen it that way. <laughs> and I've got three things, and they've got a cartload. Surely they should have let me go. But just like random real-life things maybe like that, that we have the ability to be light. And whether nobody else sees it, we have the ability to check ourselves with him. Let's pray. Oh, God. Father, I, I just, I, I, again, just thank you for your word and, God, how applicable it can be. Um, but how challenging it is to our human nature. And so, God, my prayer would be for myself and for those that are in this place this morning, filling your churches throughout our community and our country and our world, God, that there would be, as the songs say, less of me and more of you. Less of me and more of you. That not only in this season of thanksgiving would I focus on gratitude, but it would be the fabric of who I am. And Lord, you know that the fabric that makes me up. You know the fabric that makes up each and every one of us. And many times there's not too many threads of gratitude. And so, God, I just pray that you would continue.